for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. If you've uh, got your Bibles with you today, or a phone, or whatever it is you access the Word of God on, if you want to just turn to Luke 18, while I move this out of the way, so that's Luke 18, that's where we're going to be this morning. Just let me get myself sorted out. So, you can pop it up on the screen now if you want, and that way, while I'm talking, uh, we'll get to this in a minute, but it'll give you some sort of indication where we're going over the next few minutes. Um, so I thought this morning what we'd do is we'd look at the parable of the persistent widow. And uh, one of the reasons why I thought we'd do this is that recently, Claire and I have realised that we needed to be telling our oldest, our, our oldest child, Edie, who's like three and a half, a little bit more about Jesus. So, she, to give you some background, she'd had a toddler Bible, which she, we would avidly read to her every night, from about the age of one, three to about sort of two and a half, three. We'd try and read this Bible with her every night. Um, but there aren't that many stories in a toddler Bible. So after a little while, she got really bored of the same stories again and again and again. And she had begun to switch off. And we tried other versions of the Bible with her, but they were either too, she's either too old for them, or she's just not old enough yet. She's like in an in-between phase. Because some of the Bibles for kids are pretty kind of, some of them are pretty gruesome. I mean, there's something about Daniel being thrown into a lion's den, or baby Moses being shoved in a basket and set off down a river by his mum. That seemed to kind of upset Edie a little bit. She was... <laughs> Why would a mum do that to her baby? <laughs> no, surely not. Um, so at the moment, we do this thing, and it's really cool, because she now asks for it every night. Dad, can we have the Jesus chat now? Um, and so we do the Jesus chat every night, and she'll go, just a little Jesus chat, and I'll tell her a story, and I'll tell her another one, because she wants another one, and it's great. I'm really enjoying it. So we do, I do a story from the Gospels every night with her, and I try and uh, remember something or a parable, and I tell her about it. And it's been really good for her, because she's starting to engage with Jesus and she's starting to engage with stories about Jesus and ask me questions. But it's also actually been really good for me as well because three-year-olds ask really difficult questions and sometimes it's actually quite hard to answer some of them. I think the thing about Jesus' teaching and on any subject is that it's so rich. It's so rich with depth of meaning. And there isn't a better example of that than his parables. And so... Parables were stories that were often told uh, in first century Jewish kind of culture. So rabbis would tell parables. It was a way of communicating a moral message or moral meaning through a story. So people would understand it. There are more modern versions of that. You've got Aesop's fables and uh, different stories like that that tell different uh, stories and give and communicate a moral message. But Jesus' parables were unlike anything else. They are so profound that you can go on Amazon and find whole books written about individual parables that last two or three verses in the Bible. As theologians try to grapple with exactly what Jesus was communicating, they are so rich with depth of meaning. And so I thought what we'd do today is we'd look at the parable of the persistent widow. And it's a bit of an odd one in that Luke actually tells us why Jesus is telling the parable before he he actually kind of recants what Jesus said. And he says that actually Jesus told the parable because he wanted his disciples to understand why they should pray and never give up. So if you look at other parables in the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus doesn't even almost give a meaning for them. He just leaves it hanging and lets the disciples almost discover for themselves exactly what he's trying to say. 
But in this example, here in Luke 18, we have a parable where we know the meaning before we even start reading it. And I've mentioned a word today already that I know is going to irk with some of you straight away, and that's the word prayer. Because I know that, for a fact, when anybody talks about prayer, my kind of guard comes up a little bit. Because, to be honest with you, and I'm going to be really frank, praying is really hard work, isn't it? Yeah? Praying is difficult. It's hard to pray. And usually when I listen to somebody talk about prayer, I feel one of two things. I either feel really condemned, I go away from it thinking, oh gosh, I don't pray enough. Or I just feel encouraged to go away and turn over a new leaf. But then Monday, Tuesday comes and I'm back in the old habit again. And praying isn't easy. It really isn't easy. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that in a second. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll also understand that. Praying isn't easy. But I want to encourage you today in prayer. I want today to be an exhortation to you to pray more. So I'm hoping you can hear my heart on that. Today we're going to be looking at this stuff and I want to encourage you in prayer today. So there's two examples I just want to give you quickly from the Bible about actually because the Bible tells us that it's not only us that finds prayer difficult. There were people in the Bible who found prayer difficult as well. I'm really pleased that when Matthew wrote his gospel, so Matthew wrote the gospel and, and he was allowed by the disciples to tell the story of Peter, John and James going off with Jesus to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was arrested and crucified. I'm so grateful that they included that story. And it kind of goes along the lines of this. So Jesus is about to get arrested. His disciples can clearly tell that something's up with Jesus. He is stressed. He's like, come with me, stay with me. Watch God with me while I pray. He's clearly stressed out. If you read the text, you can see that Jesus is emotional. He's stressed. And actually, do you know what? Later on, Jesus actually sweats blood. He's that stressed out. He's really stressed. And he says, come and pray with me. Come and watch with me while I pray. He takes James, John and Peter with him. They're like his closest disciples. And they keep falling asleep. So Jesus starts praying and they just fall asleep. And he wakes them up and he says, can't you, can't you pray with me? Can't you keep watch with me? And it's not like they, what I love about it, it's not like they just do it once. It's like they wake up and they, they kind of, you know, if it was me, well, I hope if it was me in that situation, well, I'd probably be exactly the same. But, you know, you'd expect them to go, oh, gosh, he's really stressed out. I better stay awake. They fall asleep a second time. And then they fall asleep a third time. And Jesus keeps having to wake them up. He's like, come on, pray with me. Pray with me. Keep watch with me. I love it because, actually, it tells me something, that even the ones who are closest to Jesus struggle to pray at times. And that's an encouragement to us, right? That actually the disciples sometimes struggle to pray. I've got ADHD. So if you've spoken to me outside in the coffee area after church, it's not that I'm not interested in you, but sometimes my eyes wander around the room because I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I learned this when I started being a teacher, and I, I learned all about these different SEN diagnoses, diagnoses for children. And I realised as I was finding out about what ADHD was, that I was classic ADHD. I'd never realised it before. <laughs> like, I can't keep my concentration on anything for more than a couple of minutes. And I really struggle to, uh, to keep focused on people when I'm speaking to them. And I'm listening, but I have to keep looking at other things as well. I don't, have you seen those um, little kind of... Uh, my dad's laughing now because he knows it's true about me. Have you seen those fidget cubes you get? Like the kids, they were all the rage a year ago, and then you've got the fidget spinners. 
they, they were designed for people with ADHD. So I bought myself one for my pocket at work so that when I'm in a meeting, I can try and focus on what's going on by doing it. I really struggle with prayer. My mind starts to wander. I, I find it difficult. Um, and I know that for, for some of you as well, you will find it difficult. And for all of us, we find it difficult at times. Prayer is really hard work. And I think actually prayer is also easy to give up on when you feel like God isn't listening. Perhaps you can relate to that. Maybe today you've turned up to church and actually you're kind of on the edge of stuff because you feel like actually God isn't listening to you at the moment. You feel like when you pray, your words aren't getting through to God. And you're like, God, where are you at the moment? Where are you? I keep praying, but you don't, it doesn't feel like you're there. You know, the Bible also has people that felt like that as well. You've got David in the Old Testament. He is a king who is a man after God's own heart. What that basically means is he was like God's guy. He was like him and God were best pals. And David sometimes felt like God was distant from him. Just look at how Psalm 22 starts. Psalm 22 is a a, a psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross when Jesus feels almost like God is far from him. And David says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. David, a king after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, sometimes felt like his prayers weren't getting through to the Father. That's encouraging to us, right? Yeah? That other people in the Bible feel the way that we sometimes feel. So... We all struggle with prayer at times. We all struggle with it. And I think that that's because there's a battle going on. Prayer is a spiritual battle. It's an exchange between the creator and the created. There's a battle going on. It's a battle. The battle can sometimes be hard. And I think there's two reasons why it sometimes can be hard. Because sometimes God wants you to persevere. Sometimes God wants you to persevere. He wants you to keep going. And so sometimes the battle can feel hard because of that. And other times, I think sometimes prayer can be hard because we have an enemy and he wants you to fail. And I think that those two things make prayer difficult sometimes. And so, as I said, I'm hoping today is going to be an encouragement to you and a provocation to not give up. So let's just look at this parable. So it's been up on the screen a few minutes. Maybe while I've been speaking, you've got bored and you've started reading it. So let's just go through it together. And, uh, and then I want to just pull some things out of it. And I thought what we'd do, just to give you some sort of trajectory about where we're going, I thought at the end of the meeting we could pray together, okay? So here's this parable, and it's in Luke 18, if you've not got there already. And he told them a parable, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, this is Jesus, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while the judge refused, but after a while he said to himself, no, I ne- though I neither fear God nor I respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In the Greek, actually that beat me down is like give me a black eye by her continual coming. He gives her justice because he doesn't want to get beaten down anymore. And the Lord said, and Jesus said this, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Hear what he says. He says, I'm going to give her justice. 
And then he says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, so according to Luke, Jesus told this story about why we need to pray and not give up. And Jesus' chosen literary device here is a how much more argument. And he does it elsewhere. So there are different parables in Luke, there's lots of them. And you'll see this device used in lots of his parables in Luke. So, for example, in Luke 11, you have the parable of the prodigal son. And what Jesus does is he creates this opposite scenario with the older brother. The older brother is meant to be an opposite version of Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of the older brother. He would welcome us home. And he makes the comparison. It's a how much more argument. He's saying, well, look, if that elder brother's like that, but how much more? What about me? I'm different. Also, there's another example, and this is on our same topic of prayer from Luke. And um, it's the story of Jesus telling the disciples about uh, a friend who goes to another friend to ask for bread at midnight. I don't know if you've read that one. And he says this, he says, if you you go asking a friend for bread at midnight, he won't give it to you because he loves you. He's going to give it to you because of your audacity to wake him up at midnight and ask him for bread. He'll probably be shocked enough to just go downstairs and get some bread out of the cupboard and give it to you, not really awake, because you've just woken him up in the middle of the night. And he basically says, well, look, if that's the case with him, how much more then will God give you what you ask for when you ask him because he loves you? And so Jesus uses this how much more argument in scripture to try and help us understand something. And so what he does here in our parable today is he uses a comparison between two different people and what he wants us to understand straight away is that God is not like this judge. And he also wants us to understand something else as well, that you are not like the widow. And I want to just talk through those two things. So firstly, what does this say about God? Because it almost, it doesn't say, in some ways, it say anything about God. It says more about actually what God's not like. But what, what, can we, what can we pull out of that? Well, if a first century Jew had a problem, a legal problem of any type, they had two ways they could resolve it. They could either go to the Roman courts, because obviously the, the Israel was under Roman occupation, or they could go to the Jewish courts. Now, I think, reading the text that the judge we read about here, that Jesus is telling about, is a Jewish judge. So just to give you a bit of background on that, why do I think that? Well, Jesus says that he's a judge of a certain city. And there was a judge placed in every city throughout Israel. It was actually originally an idea that came from Jethro to Moses. And Jethro says that you need some help governing the Israelites, so what you need to do is you need to appoint appoint 70 different men to be judges. And that process carried on through the Bible until we get to the New Testament, and you get the Sanhedrin, which is a governing group of 70 judges in Jerusalem, and they're the same Sanhedrin that Jesus gets brought before when he's arrested, and that Sanhedrin is made up of rabbis who are judges, and each one of them was a judge over a town or a city, and I think Jesus' story, it's 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 a story, but Jesus is insinuating that this judge is a Jewish judge. And what's really interesting is when the first judges are called in Exodus, Jethro says to Moses, you need to find men who are able, who fear God, who are men of the truth, and who disdain unjust gain. Compare that statement 
with what the judge doesn't just get told about the judge, but says about himself. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. He only cares about himself. This judge is an unjust judge. He is not a good guy. He is corrupt. What's interesting is, if you start to think about it, if this judge was a Jewish judge, he'd have been trained as a rabbi. He would one who knew what God's heart was for widows and orphans and the, the, the oppressed and the downtrodden. But still this judge doesn't care. He doesn't care what God thinks. He just wants to please himself. Jesus is saying, what's he saying? He's saying, here is this corrupt judge. And when pushed, when pushed by this widow, when nagged, even, G- even this judge relents. Even he gives in. Even he turns towards the plight of someone in need. Granted, it's, it's not for any good reason. It's just to get her off of his back. It's to stop her whining at him. But he still does it. How much more then, Jesus says, will God answer when you pray to him? How much more will God answer when you pray to him? Why is that? Well, we've, we've heard it this morning. It's funny, Sarah said a minute ago, I don't know why God kept doing it. It's because God's good that he keeps blessing you, Sarah. It's because he's good that he keeps blessing you. He's not an unjust judge or a corrupt judge. He's a good God. And so he keeps blessing us because he's good. It's the heart of God to bless his people. God is just. He upholds the cause of the righteous. He vindicates them. He upholds the cause of the fatherless, the orphans, the asylum seekers. So in the Bible, when you see that, it's sojourners. That's people, foreigners to different lands. He upholds the cause of asylum seekers and widows. In Deuteronomy, we have this said about God. He is the rock. Not like Dwayne Johnson, the rock, the wrestler, the, the film star. He is the rock. His work is perfect. His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity. He's not like this judge. This judge is full of iniquity. He's a sinner. He's corrupt. He can't stand other people. He's not interested. God is a God without iniquity. He is just and upright. When you go to God in prayer, you that he cares about you. When you go to God in prayer, you can trust that he is a good, good father, that he will listen to what you have to say. Because he's not the kind of judge who is corrupt. He's a good judge. Isaiah prophesies that Jesus, he, in, in Isaiah we have these different servant songs, these songs about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, that he will rule in righteousness. He says a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. When you go to God, he is swift to do righteousness. He is swift to do righteousness. You see, you need to understand that when you pray, he's not only listening, but he's swift to act. And I think sometimes that's difficult because I think sometimes we don't see what God's doing. We don't see behind what God's doing. And I think when we pray, God is acting, but sometimes we have to trust that he's acting even though we don't initially see him acting. God is swift to act. So that's what some of this parable says about God. And we read it from the inverse of what we find out about the judge. But this parable also says something about you and me as well. It says that we're not like the widow. We're not like the widow. 
you need to understand something about why Jesus picked a woman in this parable. First of all, he picked her because she was a woman. She would have no rights to go before a judge. No rights at all. The culture was like Iran on speed, yeah? So, like, they've only just let women in Iran go to the cinema. I mean, shock horror. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It was, it was like that. Jewish culture was all about who was unclean and who was clean. It was about purity. So, in cultural terms, it went something like this. Men, the rich, the Jews, boys, they were all clean. The poor, Gentiles, and ladies, they were all unclean. That's how their culture worked. It's totally other to us, and it's totally rubbish, but that's how their culture worked. And so we need to understand it from that perspective, that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, they were seeing something culturally. We don't believe in that. It's rubbish. We're created equal before the sight of God. Genesis 1.27 he says that God created man and woman equally. We believe that we were equal before the Father. But actually, in their culture, they understood it slightly differently. Praise God that it's changed in our culture. Further to the fact that this is a woman in the story, she's also a widow. Women, sorry, widows had even less rights than just a normal woman would. This widow has less rights than hardly anybody else. They had so few rights that if you read in Acts, for when the church starts in Acts, widows had so few rights that it is the apostles' main concern when the church grows that they care for widows because they know that they are the most needy people and they know they need to be looked after. And so when the church grows massively after, after Pentecost, it is the apostles' main concern that they look after widows and orphans. They are worried about them because they don't have any rights. Because it's God's heart, you see. It's, his heart is for widows and orphans. Also, when the Sadducees tried to catch Jesus out on marriage, they used the example of a widow without children being remarried to various brothers. Because the culture was that widows had few rights and women were seen as property and not people. But the Mosaic law protected widows. It encouraged remarriage for widows without children to brothers and relatives as a way of guaranteeing a widow's safety, as a way of guaranteeing her lifestyle. The widow in this story that we're reading doesn't have that. She's on her own. She's on her own and she's trying to go before this unjust judge. She doesn't have any protection at all. She has no rights at all. Just to understand it a bit further, in the book of Ruth, the whole book of Ruth is about a widow. And this widow, Ruth, her husband dies. She's in a foreign country with her mother-in-law. They decide that they're going to go back to Israel as a way of trying to protect their lifestyle a little bit because everything about their lifestyle has been totally ruined by the fact that this, the husband's died. They go back to Israel again. And they know that if they go back to Israel, that they're going to be provided for slightly because under Jewish law... You could take little bits from the edges of fields that farmers leave behind. It was called gleaning. So they go back to Israel to glean just to have a lifestyle. And in the miracle of the story of Ruth is that Ruth meets a man called Boaz, who just so happens to be related to her dead husband. And he can act as what's called a kinsman redeemer for her. He can protect her. He can look after her. You see, you need to understand that widows in Jewish culture had very few rights. And they needed protecting and looking after. The widow in this story doesn't have any of that. She is without any rights. She's on her own. And she's going to this judge day in, day out, trying to get an answer from him. And she succeeds because of her persistence. You see, Jesus chooses a widow because he's trying to get at something in us. 
I don't know whether you ever feel like you're the last person that God wants to talk to. Whether you've got such a low self-opinion or evaluation of yourself that you think God doesn't listen when you pray. Or maybe it's not your view of yourself that's like that, but maybe it's your view of God. Maybe you do this kind of false humility thing. He hasn't got time for me. He's not got time for me. He's far too busy looking after other people. He hasn't got time for me. And so you discount yourself based on what you think your position is. You class yourself with the widow in this story. Jesus uses a widow in this story because he wants you to understand something. You are not a widow. You are not a widow in Christ. In Christ, you are something quite different. Because even Jesus in this story, he uses the word elect. You see, you are elect by God and you are going to the one who elected you. You're not a widow without, without any holding, without anybody looking after you. You are a child going to a father when you pray. Paul says you're a child of the king and that you've been adopted as his child. You're not a widow going to an unjust judge when you pray. You're a child going to a father. Peter, that guy who fell asleep in the garden, later goes on in his writing to say this, you're a royal priest. You're a royal priest. You, you don't have to stand outside the throne room of God waiting for him to appear with his train of servants, hoping that he might just glance at you and see your request. You can go into the throne room because you're his child and that you're a chosen priest of God. You have been chosen by him. Peter says, I'll just read it in full. He says that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In other verses, it says that we are his special possession. You are special to God. You're not a poor, impoverished widow. You've been clothed with splendour and majesty. That's what God says about you today. So the parable says, you're not like the widow. And the parable says that God is not anything remotely like the judge in this story. And the encouragement for you today is to not give up when you pray. I don't know if you remember those funky Christian bracelets that they were really cool a few years ago. I don't know if you had one. Maybe you still wear it today because you're holding on to the 90s. Um, they like, remind me of those all-inclusive bands you get from hotels or, um, uh, you know, like uh, festival bands. If you've got one of those bands, it's like you're in the club. The What Would Jesus Do band, do you remember those? WWJD. It made you think, what would Jesus do? I don't know, what would Jesus do? You tell me. <laughs> Who knows? Frog. I don't know if you've seen that one. Fully reliant on God. Okay? You could be a frog for God. There was one with like symbols on it. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a bit more modern. It's a bit cooler. It's a bit more kind of like covert. Um, there was a guy I used to work with who wore all of these on his wrists under his shirt. I, I don't know why, but he did. Um, and, uh, and I had the symbols on it. And it was like the symbols were how you bring somebody to faith. These are all really good things, and I'm, not, I'm really not criticising them at all. They're all great in their own way, okay, if you, if you understand it. Sometimes it can become a little bit cliche, though, after a little while. And then there was one that was push. Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. The sentiment's great, isn't it? Pray until something happens. I don't know what they're expecting to happen, but pray until something happens. Maybe the world caves in or something. Pray until something happens. I think it would, wouldn't have made such a catchy title, but I think it would have been better if they'd put something like, pray until you get an answer. Pray until you get an answer. Yeah. Don't just pray until something happens. Pray until you get an answer. Yeah. 
Don't give up on prayer. Be persistent before God. I think there are times when you pray and you pray with all your might because it's like an emergency situation. It's an emergency situation. So you need to pray with all of your might. A, a few years ago, friends of ours had their second baby. So, like, really good friends of ours. And um, George, his name was, and all was well. Well, he was 12 pounds. So Laura, his mum, all wasn't so well with her. Um, but George seemed seemingly healthy. He was a 12-pound baby. I mean, you would assume that he's pretty healthy, right? A couple of weeks later, when he was about two, three weeks old, he had a bit of a strange cough. And they went to church. And a friend there who was a nurse, and, and Laura, George's mum, is also a nurse. She said, I just think you should take him to hospital. Said, that cough doesn't sound quite right. He sounds to be, seems to be breathing a little bit funny. So they did. And they texted us as we went. We've got to take George to hospital. So-and-so says his breathing's not right. Can you just pray? And so we did that kind of classic, yeah, we'll pray for him. I'm sure it's nothing. You know, the classic newborn baby syndrome. Nothing's really wrong. He's just breathing a bit funny. So we pray, God, pray they get the best care. I remember praying that they get the best care that they can, that they get seen quickly, because Bromley A&E waiting times, it's a little bit better than Ashford, but Bromley A&E waiting times isn't great. Okay, so pray that they get seen quickly. And they took him to a hospital in Bromley, and they got seen by this paediatric doctor, who, bizarrely enough, was down for the weekend from, of all places, Birmingham, just getting some extra money, earning some extra cash. It turns out he was a paediatric heart specialist. And he said to them, if you hadn't have brought in George today, he'd be dead tonight. His heart would have stopped. George crashed in hospital. They had to like, almost revive him. They flew him up to the Evelina, which is a specialist children's hospital in London, and they performed heart surgery on him. He was very unwell. And I remember at the time, it was like, we didn't just pray at that point, like a car prayer. We prayed. We got in before the Father, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed that God would spare that little boy's life. And the church prayed, and it was like fervent prayer. That was an emergency situation, and man, boy, did we pray that that child was well. And he is well. I saw him yesterday. He's three years old now, and he's well, because, you know, God stepped in in that situation. We believe that that was God stepping in and changing that situation. That was emergency prayer. But I think there are other things that we pray for, and it's like you pray it for the long haul. You're in it for the long haul. You know that you're in that prayer situation for a while. At our previous church, which was King's Church up in London, we were originally at their Catford site, and an opportunity came up to be part of a team of 14 people to go into a church in Downham that was looking to be taken over by kings. It was looking to become a, a, a site of King's Church. So it's a multi-site church. That means that they meet in more than one place. And it was saying, well, can, we, can, we, can we join part of King's? And so we went in with 14 other people to help lead that transition through. And when we got there, there were around about 90 adults on a Sunday... And now there are over 300 adults on a Sunday there. God has done some remarkable things. And I remember chatting to a lady in the church. This was a couple of years ago, just before we left. And um, she said, I've prayed for years and years and years that this community would be changed for Jesus, that this building, because they built the building themselves years ago, this building will be full of people worshipping God. And she said to me, look at it. It's full of people worshipping God every week. Her prayer, her persistent prayer, her prayer continually brought breakthrough. Her prayer. God, 
come and break in on my community. God, come and change the situation. God, come and, come and do things here. Her prayer, persistent prayer, she saw answers. She prayed until she saw answers. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. I don't think that necessarily means ask once. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Sometimes if you lose something, it takes a long time to find it again. Sometimes if you go to somebody's house and you know they're inside, you might knock on the door for 10 minutes to try and get an answer out of them. Knock and the door will be open. Jesus isn't expecting you to knock once. He's saying you need to keep knocking until you get a response. Persistence in prayer changes situations. Pray until you get answers. Now, before we finish, I just want to talk about the last part of this parable because I think it presents quite a challenge to us. It presents quite a challenge. You see, Jesus wraps up this parable in two ways. First, first of all, he gives a kind of description of what he's getting at. He says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But then he ends with a stranger statement. He says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What's he saying? He's challenging you. He's challenging you. Jesus is giving you a direct challenge. When the Son of Man comes, disciples, will he find faith on earth? He's talking about himself, obviously. When I come back again, what am I going to find when I arrive? Are you going to be praying like the persistent widow, or are you not? That's the challenge that Jesus is saying. See, if he came back this afternoon, which would be quite cool, wouldn't it? If he came back this afternoon, will he find your faith like that of the persistent widow? Are you and am I persistent when it comes to prayer? Do we push ourselves to pray and not give up? What has your prayer life looked like this last week? When we don't see answers to prayer immediately, how do you react to it? Do you just give up and pray for something else? Or do you keep going? As I was preparing this, I actually felt like I just wanted to challenge a particular group of people here today, and that's the men. And I'm nailing my colours to the mast a little bit when I say this. But I think God really wants to bring a challenge to you today. I was chatting to a friend this week and I said to them, look, when you've got kids, what do you want your children to see you doing when they're they're growing up? Like, when they go looking around the house for daddy, where are you? Where are you going to be? Are you going to be playing computer games or watching Netflix? Are you going to be hiding down the shed? I built a new shed last week, so the temptation to go and hide in the shed is great at the moment. (laughs) Will you go and hide in the shed? Are you always down the pub? Are you not even there? Or do they catch you time and time again meeting with Jesus? What is your life like day to day? Do people in your household find you praying for them? Do people in your household find you getting deep into God? And the exhortation, not just for men here, but for everyone, is this. And it is a positive one. I just think it's time to get serious about God. It's time to get serious about him. It's time to get serious about prayer. It's time to get serious about what God could do through you in belief and in your community when you start praying. Because here's the thing. The more you pray, the more he answers. And the more you pray, the more he answers. As I said earlier... Prayer is a battle. 
Just praying in itself is a battle, but prayer is also a battle. Are you today in the battle? Are you in the battle? Or are you sitting it out? Are you watching from the sidelines? When Jesus says that when he comes back, will he find the widow's kind of faith displayed? That is a challenge. And it's a call to arms. It's a call to arms. It's time to take up your sword and fight in prayer for stuff that you know you need to see God change in your life. It's not just about going to the prayer meeting once a month on a Wednesday night. And those evenings are great. And can I just encourage you to get to them if you don't, if you don't go? That's not just what I'm talking about. I'm talking prayer, day in, day out. Prayer, every day. Every time you can get a moment. What is your life like when you have that moment to yourself? Do you pray or do you just go on your phone? Do you pray or do you just read the paper? What do you do in those moments? Because Paul encourages us in the Bible to pray continually. Make prayer habitual in your life. Prayer is a battle, but it's also where we do battle. Because we contend for justice before God in prayer. We contend for salvation of our friends' lives before God in prayer. We contend for healing before God in prayer. And when Paul talks about this spiritual battle in Ephesians 6, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a fight going on that we can't fully understand. Paul talks about cosmic powers, and I think of aliens in the Avengers films. That's what I think of. I don't think he's talking about that. But there is, there is a fight going on. There are demonic powers over the world around us. There are human-based powers over the world around us that would seek to destroy the church, that would seek to destroy the word of Christ reaching people. Just look at the last 10 years in the UK. Christianity gets derided and derided and derided. There are powers at work that would seek to destroy the work of God in our lifetime. There's a fight going on, and we don't understand it fully. We all know, don't we, that God is winning and has won already. He did that on the cross. Jesus won the victory. But actually, at the same time, we are encouraged to keep taking part in the battle that is going on. We're encouraged to take part in the battle that is waging. And I know for a fact, guaranteed, everybody in this room will have a battle. You'll all be facing a battle at the moment. Claire, my wife, is looking for a job at the moment. It's a battle. We are facing that battle together as a family at the moment. There might be physical uh, battles you're facing at the moment. Maybe you need to see healing. There might be spiritual battles. Maybe you need to see healing spiritually. There may be emotional battles you might be facing today. You might have, like we have at the moment, a material battle. We need a job for Claire in September in Ashford. She doesn't want to have to keep coming up to Bromley with me every day. We are facing a battle. You are facing battles as well. Or maybe the battle that you're facing at the moment isn't actually for you. You're battling for somebody else. Maybe your view of God um, today, maybe you turned up and you just felt like giving up on the battle. You felt like walking away. Maybe that's because your view of God was a bit twisted or maybe it was a view of yourself as well. And I'm hoping that as you've read this with me, you've seen that actually that God sees you as chosen and accepted by him and that he is a good, good father. I thought what we do now as a way of closing out the meeting, so we've got about three or four minutes left. I thought what we'd do is this and... It's a slightly different end to the morning. I thought what we could do is pray with one another to finish the morning off. Not too quick. Um, so what I wanted to do is this. I thought we could get into twos or threes. 
and we could just pray for each other. Maybe there's something going on with you that you need God to step in on change. And you can just, you don't have to go on for ages. Just say, I just need this changing in my life. Or maybe it's a situation you just carry on, you're carrying at the moment that you need to change. Before we do that, and my last caveat to all of that is this. If you're a visitor or a guest here today, first of all, I didn't welcome you, so welcome to our church today. If you're a visitor or a guest, this is a great opportunity to pray. But I just want to say to you, there's no obligation for you to pray right now. If you don't want to, that's fine. Just say, no, we're, we're cool, thank you very much. Or you can just talk to the people who turn around to talk to you about why you're here this morning and the weather and what else, okay? Um, but what I'd love to do now is if we can get into twos or threes, can I just encourage you to pray with one another for just a couple of minutes and then I'm going to close the meeting, okay? So we need to be active. This is an active message today.